I must have been um, seven, eight, or nine, but the, the, the image is, is, is vivid in my mind. Remember the house? Remember the, the stairs that had to navigate to get to the second floor where, where the bedrooms were? I remember the, the foyer area outside of, of the bedroom. My, my uncle had been diagnosed in his early 50s with, with stomach cancer. And being a, a young child, um, he was, it, 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 this was all new for me. But I remember it as clear as day. His, his, his children, five children were there. His brothers and sisters were there. His, his one or two grandchildren at the time were there. His um, daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws were there. It was a, remember, this, this deathbed scene, it was, just a, it was just a vivid picture. You know, death, deathbed scenes just never leave you. This was over 30 years ago. They never leave you. And as we think about our text or the last couple of weeks of where we've been in, in Genesis, we've, our backdrop, our, our setting is that of a deathbed. It is the deathbed of, of Jacob. He is surrounded by all of his sons, and, and by God's grace, he has been granted strength to pronounce a blessing over each one of them. Oh, what a wonderful gift for Jacob. All of his family together in one place. If, and if you, if you remember, this, this, this family has been somewhat dysfunctional been full of toil and strife and, and murder and, and lies and, and envy and loss. But his, his final years, Jacob's final years, his, his final moments in this life would be spent in the company of his family, his sons united together and, and a, in agreement and there at his bedside. As we have noted again and again, God had been good to Jacob. Passing down of the blessings of God to his sons would bring, would bring any father much joy. And they, it, it certainly brought Jacob much joy. What peace. The peace at the end of a life. Family surrounded there, able to pronounce a blessing over your children. You, you get the sense, and we, I think our text communicates that, that Jacob was, was ready to die. We read this in verse 33. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last. Death, if we are honest, often brings more questions than it does answers. Much, much mystery surrounds it. Questions come to our minds. What, what will happen when I die? What is, what is heaven like? Will I recognize my, my family members? 
all these questions, and I'm, and I'm sure more questions surround death. Thoughts and questions about what happened after death are, are not a new phenomenon. The Sadducees pr- pr- um, posed a question to Jesus in Matthew 22 about what would happen after death. You do remember this encounter. Yes, they were trying to, of course, trip Jesus up, but they, they came to Jesus and they, they posed a question to him. What if a wife had a, had a husband who died and then was given to her, his brother in, in marriage, and then that husband died, and she married again, and that husband died, and it went on for seven times. He said, they asked him, who would be her husband in heaven? Oh, Jesus answered the question. Yes, they were trying to chip, trip Jesus up, but they had questions about what happens after you die. I don't, I don't doubt that many of you have questions this morning about what what happens after death, the nature of it and, and what it will be like. And while the Bible does not have a problem talking about death, we find little detail about what happens once we die. But there are some aspects, there are some aspects that the Bible does communicate. And we learn something of what happens this morning from our account of Jacob breathing his last. But we also learn, we also learn a very important truth about the nature of the kingdom of God. So those are the two aspects we will look at this morning in our text. What this teaches us about death and what this teaches us about the kingdom of God. Let's start with what we learn about death. For that's the bent of our text. Dealing with death, a difficult subject. And what we learn is that death is a transition, not a termination. It is a transition, not a termination. You know, too often people equate death with finality. They wrongly make the assumption that this world is it, and when they come to the end of their days in this world, then that's it. The truth that the Bible communicates, however, is that we were created for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3 and 11 makes this point. He has made everything beautiful in its time, Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. You and I, and every human being born into this world, has been created to live forever. We we know this. This is, this is why depictions of heaven find its way in movies and, and television shows. It's, it's why kids, out of curiosity, pose those all too difficult and awkward questions that you just can't answer. Each of us, follower of Christ or not, have a sense that this world isn't it. That's what 
the preacher in Ecclesiastes means when he says that God has put eternity into the hearts of man. We, we know, we know that this world isn't it. As Jacob gathers up his feet into his bed and breathes his last, listen to what the Bible says next. And Jacob was gathered to his people. He was gathered to his people. Jacob may have been coming to the end of his life in this world, but by no means was his life being terminated. Jacob was transitioning from this life to the next. And while Moses, who wrote Genesis, did not have a full understanding of what happened after death, he was clear on the fact that this was not the end for Jacob. And that links up with what has been revealed to us in the New Testament. John eleven twenty five. Jesus comes and says to, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is communicating here eternity, eternal life forever. The overwhelming evidence in the scriptures is that this world is not it. It doesn't terminate here, but death is a transition. Perhaps you're thinking that eternity awaits only for those who die in Christ. No, brothers and sisters. Eternity awaits us all, saints and sinners alike. Listen to Revelation 14. There is a difference, though. Listen to Revelation 14, 9 through 11. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb of God. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. There is eternity awaits us all, believer and sinner alike. This is why, brothers and sisters, this life matters. It matters. When you breathe your last in this world, it is not the end, but just the beginning. And if that's the case, then it would behoove us to prepare, spend this life Preparing for the next. Because when you die, there are only two options. 
There is no, there's no in-between. You are either going to spend eternity with Christ or you are going to spend eternity being punished by him. Prepare, brothers and sisters. Prepare in this life for the next. So how do you prepare? That's the question. How do you prepare? Well, you do as Jacob did. You trust the promises of God. You trust the promises of God. Jacob had been given a promise. It was the same promise that was given to those who had gone before him. Jacob dies trusting God's promises. We saw this in our text last week. In verse 18 of chapter 49, Jacob exclaims, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. You prepare in this life for the next by trusting in the Lord who promises to save, who is a promise keeper. You prepare in this life by trusting in his promises. So the question I have for you, friends, is are you prepared? And perhaps maybe a, a, a more penetrating question, and I don't mean to scare you, but I, it is a reality. Are you ready to die? Next moment is not promised to you. That is a pressing question, brothers and sisters. Not one that I... that I'm I'm trying to, to scare you with, but one that I want you to really consider. That if you were to walk out of here today, and that if the Lord should take you, would you be prepared? You ready? To die. I, you can know this morning, brothers and sisters. You can be prepared this morning. You can walk out of here with assurance, knowing that if you die, you too will be gathered with your people. John 3 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son, has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's how how you prepare. You trust the Son. You believe in the Son, and you will have eternal life. That's the answer to the question. Somebody asks you, are you prepared to die? I pray you would say yes. Not because I'm trusting in my own works, but because I am trusting in the Son of God, whose name is Jesus. Amen. 
Ah, this, this small little phrase, Jacob was gathered to his people, reminds us that death is a transition, not a termination, and therefore I must be prepared to die. But also communicates to us that Jacob transitioned into a glorious reunion. A glorious reunion. A reunion with Christ and a reunion with his loved ones. You want to know what happens when you die? If you die trusting the promises of Christ, when you die, brothers and sisters, you will be with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will finally be in the company of our Savior. Immediately. No, no delay. You know what Jesus said to the, to the thief on the cross? He said today, not tomorrow, not after spending time in a type of holding cell waiting to be released through the prayers of your loved ones. No, no, no. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That is what Jesus promised. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus promised in John 14, he says, where I am, there you will be also. Oh, that the Bible is clear on, brothers and sisters. When you die, Christian, you will be with Christ. Oh, but there is a wonderful implication here. There is a wonderful implication. If all who die in Christ will be with him, then this is also true. There will be a glorious reunion with my loved ones who died believing in Jesus. Jacob was going to be gathered with his people. Those who had gone before him, his father, his grandfather, his beloved Rachel, Leah, Jacob was graduating to a reunion. Oh, this phrase is used of other Old Testament saints like Abraham and Isaac and Aaron, Ishmael. I believe the Bible would have us be comforted by the reality that those loved ones who die in Christ, you and I will see again. I'm going to see my grandparents. I'm going to meet my grandmother that I never got to meet. I'm going to get to see my uncle who died at a young age. Oh, that is a glorious and a wonderful, a wonderful reality. Remember, Death is not a transition. Death is a transition, not a termination. Which means for Jacob, for Jacob, as he breathed his last, and listen, as and other believers, as they die 
upon this earth as their life comes to an end on this, this side? You know what death means? Death means joy. Death means joy. For in the presence of Christ, there is fullness of joy, joy unspeakable. Because we get to behold and worship without sin the one who saved our souls. Oh, and as so as to add gravy to an already all-satisfying dish, we get to be reunited with those who have gone on before us. Do you realize that is what you have to look forward to, Christian? If you are in Christ, you, have, uh, you can look forward to when you breathe your last on this earth. You will be reunited with Christ, and then you will be reunited with your loved ones who have died in Christ. Oh, so death is not to be feared. Jacob wasn't afraid. Sure, there are questions, but the Bible gives us enough insight to know that we at least don't need to fear. Death. Death brings joy, joy for the believer who dies in Christ. But here's the reality of death. Those who remain in this broken world, for those of us who, who, who have lost loved ones who, who, who died in Christ, Death brings sorrow, not celebration. Death brings sorrow, not celebration. Death in the scriptures is never celebrated. It's an enemy. It's called an enemy by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is a vivid, I don't know if there is a clearer picture of the reality that there is something wrong with our world. This world is broken. Things are not right. You do remember that Adam and Eve were meant to live forever and not experience physical death. The death that is part of our world, that is not what they were to experience. But they forfeited that that blissful state and plunged all of humanity into sin. And you know what sin produced? It produced death. Romans 5 and 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death, death is a product of, of sin. So, brothers and sisters, when death happens, cancer and heart attacks, when terrorists run vehicles through people, when murder happens, we shouldn't celebrate, we should mourn. We should weep, we should lament because this enemy, this enemy of sin and death is still wrecking havoc on this world. 
Jacob's death produced mourning. It's all, it's all through our text. When Jacob breathed his last, Joseph, his beloved son, fell upon his face and kissed him and, and wept and wept. Jesus, Joseph knew. He knew the day was coming. Joseph, uh, Jacob has been on his deathbed. This shouldn't have been news to him. This wasn't a surprise. He was, this day was coming. We still find him grief-stricken. It's right. Joseph has lost a father, a beloved father who, whom he had been separated from for years, and now he is with them and there together. Oh, J Joseph was, was grief-stricken. Several times in our passage we read about this mourning over the, over the death of Jacob. The Egyptians wept for 70 days. The great company that went up to Canaan for the burial lamented and mourned for seven days. So pronounced was this, was this grief and lament that just beyond the Jordan, the, the Canaanites see this weeping and this great lamentation happening, and they rename the, the place. They rename it a place of mourning. Didn't we just talk about Jacob's joy? He was going to be gathered with his people. He was going to be with Christ leaving this temporary city for a lasting one. He was ex experiencing joy, joy unspeakable. Yet for those who remained, it was a great time of sorrow and weeping. It wasn't time for celebration. Why? Because mourning and grief is a proper response to death. I, I, I don't know if there is uh, greater instruction here for us than when we look at um, John chapter 11 and, and Jesus when he meets Martha and Mary who are distraught because their brother Lazarus has died. Now, Jesus gets to the tomb. Now, remember, brothers and sisters, this is Jesus. He knows what he is about to do. He is about to go there, and in moments, he knows there's going to be great joy because he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's what he knows that's what he's doing. Jesus comes up onto the scene. And the Bible tells us that he wept. That he wept. I think Jesus wept because he recognized that death is an enemy. He knew it was an enemy. He knew this world was broken. He wanted to enter into the suffering of, of Mary and Martha. He knew their pain. He knew that grief was a proper response death. Oh, 
Brothers and sisters, if you have lost a, a loved one, or if you lose a loved one, don't let anybody tell you that you shouldn't grieve or weep or mourn. Death causes pain. It hurts. I might go as far as to say you should be weeping. You should be mourning. But here's the difference, Christian. If our loved one has died trusting the promises of God, then we grieve. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. That's what, that's what Paul tells the Thessalonians in chapter 4 and verse 13 and 14. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Brothers and sisters, your grief over death should not leave you to despair. It, 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 should, it shouldn't lead you to, to doubt, but your mourning should lead you to hope in the living God who sent his son to defeat sin and death. Oh, yes, yes, sin. Death is a, is a vivid reminder that this world is broken, but because Jesus died and rose again from the, the grave, death has lost its sting. It, it has victory no more. In fact, you know what Jesus does? He turns your weeping into joy and your mourning into dancing. That's what he does. We mourn over death, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Oh, Joseph and his brothers mourned, but it did not stop them from fulfilling the promise of God that they had made to their father to bury him in the promised land so that he would be with his people. Oh, those are the two truths we, we learn about death in our text. That death is a transition, not a termination. And that death bring sorrow for those left, not celebration. We also learn something of the nature of the kingdom of God in our text. I wonder if you've paid attention to those who participated in the mourning of Jacob's death. I wonder if you've taken note of who attended the funeral procession to Canaan. Verse 3 says, and the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. Verse 7 says, so Joseph went up to bury his father with him, went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. Verse 11 says, when the Canaanites saw this great lamentation happening, they said, 
this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Jacob, the, the, the patriarch, the father of what would be the 12 tribes of Israel, is mourned and attended to by the pagan Egyptians. Huh. This is, this is remarkable in light of what we've learned in our study through the life of Joseph. Remember, the Egyptians did not think highly of the Hebrew people. When the brothers met with Joseph in his home, the Egyptians could not even bring themselves to eat with his brothers. Joseph tells us later that because the Hebrew people are shepherds and a little scruffy, they got beards and everything like that, they are an abomination to the Egyptians. But here they are, mourning with great sorrow the death of Jacob. I find this amazing. It is amazing because it shows, shows the impact that Joseph had on Egypt. Remember, he started out as a servant and was wrongly accused and sent to prison. But, but God raised him up to, to be second in command and have the favor of the king. Joseph was, was so beloved by Pharaoh and so beloved by the Egyptians that whatever he asked of them, they granted it to him. A large convoy to bring his father from Canaan to Egypt, granted. Land for his family, the, the best land, granted. Embalmment embalmment, leave, and, and grand processional to, to carry his father from Egypt back to Canaan. It was granted. Anything that Joseph asked was granted to him. Oh, I'm amazed at the, at the influence and the impact that Joseph had on Egypt. But what is, what is amazing even more amazing than that, is that I believe Jacob had an impact as well. Although he had only spent 17 years in Egypt, he was only there 17 years, remember? Jacob's family and honor grew just as the Lord had promised. I will make of you a great nation. This was the promise given to his grandfather, Abraham. And here it is, Jacob receiving it. I will make of you a great nation. And all the peoples of the earth will, 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 will be blessed by you. Oh, he grew in the promised land. So much so that when he breathed his last, not only did his family mourn, but the pagan nation mourned as well. They, they put, there was this grand procession of this, this grand funeral. All the top officials in Egypt went down to, to Canaan to honor this man. I'm amazed at this because if you first 100 years of Jacob's life, you would not have predicted this, this end. Jacob in Egypt, trusting the promises of God and having an impact on this pagan nation, who would believe such a thing? If you knew the God of the Bible, you would. You would believe it if you knew the God of the Bible. 
how could 12 ordinary men, fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, and simple men lead a movement that would still be thriving over 2,000 years later? How, how could a man who persecuted the church, who was a blasphemer, be changed by the message he once hated and live out his days and dr die trying to spread that message? How about this one? How could a baby born in a manger in a little town in Palestine change not just the village, but change the world? I could tell you how that happened. Through the power and purposes of God. That's, that's how the kingdom of God works. Matthew 13, 31 through 32. He put another parable before them saying, Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. Oh, do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Do you believe that your life can actually make a difference? That it can have an impact? If you are a Christian, I, I, I think you should believe that. And if you don't, then start trusting the promises of God. It's never too late. Jacob struggled for several years. Several years. But he trusted the promises of God. In those last 17 years in Canaan, Jacob thrived. Not because Jacob was anything special. But because he was trusting in the, the promises of God, reassured that, that God was with him. And he and his family stood out in Egypt. They were different. But it was a difference that had an impact. Remember, brothers and sisters, this life matters. It matters. The promises, start trusting the promises of God today. Why? Why? So that you can be prepared. You're prepared for the transition. For remember, Death isn't a termination, it's a transition. Are you prepared today? Trust Jesus. Jacob, trust the promises of God. Let's pray.